Good morning. Thank you for joining us. We got some cars out there in the parking lot. Thank you for that enthusiasm. It's always appreciated. And we got a good crowd in here today. So good to see some smiling faces out there. And we are continuing in our series, The Kingdom of God. And today we're going to get into the Beatitudes. So I'm kind of excited about it. I, I get excited to preach and uh, thankful for that opportunity that you give me to be with you that way. Uh, so as we jump in this morning, uh, I just want to say uh, a word about Jesus' teaching style. Have you thought about the way Jesus presents things and the way he teaches? I think it's uh, good to think about that sometimes because the way Jesus teaches is very different than the way we teach today. If you were to go take a university class uh, at the U of O or uh, um, a vocational program of some kind, the way we typically teach here in the West is very different than the way Jesus himself taught. And uh, Jesus, let me just say, he was a master of making people think of making people think, and he was a master, because inevitably when you would hear Jesus talk, you would think about the condition of your own heart and what's going on in your own heart. Uh, and Jesus typically employed two methods that I see in the Gospels. Uh, I think there's more there, and you could, you could look at, at uh, uh, different kinds of uh, ways to cut this up. But the two main things that I see are, first of all, he teaches a lot of, in parables. You ever think about parables and the way parables work? Uh, why does Jesus do that? Rather than just telling people plainly the way things are, why would he use some cryptic language like in a parable? What do parables do? What do they accomplish? What's their advantage over other forms of teaching? So maybe at some point we'll get to talk about that a little bit because he uses parables a lot. Uh, he uses them quite extensively in his, his Gospels. And the second form of teaching that I see that Jesus used is he constantly uh, teaches against the prevailing assumptions that people had. The prevailing assumptions. This is the way it is. This is reality. This is the way it works. This is who is in and this is who is out. Jesus constantly makes us rethink things. We all think we know where to draw the lines with everything. But Jesus makes us consider things and look at, and, and, and it inevitably, again, it gets me looking at the condition of my own heart and my own thoughts. See, Jesus, he has a whole different criteria of who is blessed and who is not. And he gets me thinking things differently, uh, comparing and contrasting the order of man with the order of God. And we see this in the Sermon on the Mount, don't we? You have heard that it is said, blah, blah, blah. But I tell you. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. So this compare and contrast. What are your assumptions about who is blessed and who is not? for who is in and who is out. And the Beatitudes that we're going to get into this morning, they fall under this category of teaching, teaching against the prevailing assumptions that people had. 
who is up and coming, and who is down and out. And you don't have to agree with me with what I'm going to share about this, but uh, some teaching that I've received and it's been helpful for me to think about, uh, it, it, it kind of helped me recast uh, my understanding of what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes. And if you don't, want, if you don't track with me, that's fine. This is not uh, a salvation issue if you disagree with Calvin. Probably. Probably. So the way that the Beatitudes have typically been taught is that they contain certain spiritual disposition, dispositions that I need to replicate in order to be blessed. I need to become poor in spirit, and then I will get to the kingdom of heaven. I need to learn how to mourn correctly, and then I will find comfort. If I do these things correctly, then I will get this. If I become this, then I will get that. I don't think Jesus is giving us an if-then kind of equation here, a checklist in order to obtain blessing. Rather, he's challenging the prevailing assumptions of who is blessable and who is not blessable or not being blessed. Uh, the blessing comes because of the presence of the kingdom, not because of the condition or the circumstance. So by way of a reminder, we kind of looked at this, I think, a little bit last week, and Jesus is saying about uh, the greatness of John the Baptist. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Greater than he. Greater because of your natural qualifications. Uh, greater because... Uh, your camel hair and leather belt is more stylish than John the Baptist's? Greater because you happen to have eaten more bugs than he ate or spent more time in the wilderness than he spent? If you are in the kingdom, you are greater than the greatest human being who ever lived not because of what you've accomplished on your own, but because of what's now available to you and who you are now with. So I don't try to make myself mournful because mourning is so great and wonderful. It's so great and wonderful to be brokenhearted and missing someone so much it just sucks the air out of my chest. I'm not actively trying to find people who are going to, uh, uh, I'm going to bait them somehow into insulting me. Ha ha! I found someone who will speak evil against me. Ha ha! I've done it! The blessing doesn't come because of the circumstances I inhabit. The blessing comes because of whom I'm with and what is available to me in the kingdom of God. So let's look at these Beatitudes. I'm just going to read through them. Just listen or read along with me. And I'm in uh, Matthew chapter 5. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The reason why Jesus tells us to seek first the rule of God, to seek first the seek ye first the kingdom of God, is because the rule of God brings beatitude that is greater than your circumstance. The rule of God brings with it everything you need not just to survive, but to thrive. The rule of God brings beatitude greater than your circumstance. And that's Jesus' invitation. Just come and live under God's government. Come live where the sparrows live. And this is what Jesus' teaching does in the Beatitudes. He helps us understand who is well off. Who is well off? We got our lists. Who is well off and who is not well off? We got ideas in our mind that's been ingrained in our culture to think certain things and think certain ways. We're not immune to it as, as disciples of Jesus. But Jesus... You look at the end of Matthew chapter 4, and you've got people from all over the place, even unacceptable people from those Greek areas and, you know, where they have demon-possessed people and keep herds of swine, and they were coming, too, into this, this group of needy, broken, diverse people with all kinds of circumstances and all kinds of problems. And Jesus gives them a kingdom message about who is well off. So let's look at some of these. I'm going to unpack them a little bit to help us kind of hear them differently or understand them differently. And uh, I don't pretend to be a Greek scholar, but I can get myself into trouble a little bit with it. And, but there's fruit here, I think. To, and if you don't know the Greek, just get different versions and kind of compare them. That's okay, too. 
and kind of think about what, that's, what, what is the point that they're trying to get across. So, uh, like poor in spirit. Sometimes we beautify that, like, oh, I, I need to be poor in spirit. I just, if I become poor in spirit, then, then I'll, I will get all of this blessing that will come from that. Uh, Luke doesn't make it so pretty. He just says, blessed are the poor. Because we all know poverty is such a great thing. And I need to become poor. And never have enough. And never be secure in food or a place to stay or a roof over my head. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What they are is they are, the blessing is to those who are spiritually bankrupt. For those who have been spiritually deprived, you are blessed. Jesus himself was poor in spirit. Are we not right to say that you are a demon-possessed half-breed? Who gave you your teaching? Where did your authority come from? And the apostles he appointed are also people who are poor in spirit, deprived by the system of who is in and who is out, even in the religion of that day. So, blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt. Um, are they blessed because they're poor in spirit or are they blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven so blessed are those who mourn blessed are those who mourn because mourning is such a wonderful thing now, it's not saying go find a way to be mournful. It's saying if that is your circumstance, in the kingdom of heaven there is comfort available to you that you didn't even know was there. And we have a lot of people in this church body who are in various stages of grief and mourning. I spent some time thinking about that and just praying for you this week. Um, people who've lost someone that's dear to them and someone they love. Uh, Sheila, Tori, now Denise. A loss of a parent, a loss of child or a grandchild, a loss of a spouse. Think of Karen, Karen Hubbard, Karen Birdie. I can still hear Don Casey's voice in my head. And uh, he's singing a hymn all the time. I can still see Iva sitting in her chair up here. I can see Azalea wheeling around in her walker. And I'm, I'm the new guy around here yet in some ways. I never knew Ruthdale. But Roger tells me I, I think about her every day. 
and it feels heavy, and I can't pretend to know. I think it's a fairly unique thing for each and every one of us. I can't pretend to know how that reality of being brokenhearted and mourning is touch, touching your life and that reality that you live with. But I get to proclaim to you, in the kingdom of heaven, there is comfort. There is comfort that maybe you weren't expecting and you didn't even know to ask for or even go looking for. And so Paul writes things like he writes in uh, 1 uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. No, instead we grieve as people who have great hope. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about the reality of blessed are those who mourn with words like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. See, our culture teaches us to hide away our mourning. No one wants to see your snotty, ugly cry. Run from suffering, hide it away, put it in a box, don't mention it again, stop making me feel uncomfortable. Pretend like it doesn't exist. Pretend like it's okay and it doesn't hurt. In the kingdom of heaven, there's one who comes to you with comfort. And he was known as a man of sorrows and someone who is familiar with suffering. And he can meet you in your sorrows and your suffering. And under the rule of heaven, you will find the comfort that you didn't even think was possible. That's the promise of Jesus. And then when you begin to embrace that promise through faith, strange things will start to happen to you. Strange things start to happen to us, like the tears of loneliness and grief. We find that those tears of loneliness and grief, suddenly they're mixed with tears of hope. And even stranger, sometimes joy is a part of that as well. And maybe that thought will come to your mind, what kind of sick puppy am I? Am I? No, it's, you're finding the truth of Jesus' words, comfort breaking in, light coming where we thought there was only darkness, and great hope of what is yet to come. And Paul says, like in these words here, you're going to receive so much comfort, it's just going to ooze out of you. You're going to have comfort to give to other people as well. And that's what happens in the kingdom of God. Our wounds, our broken hearts, Jesus makes us into wounded healers ourselves. And we get to encourage other people. And we get to share comfort with them, even as we receive comfort ourselves. So blessed are the 
We say meek. We beautify that word meek. But what this is referring to, if you say the word shy, you'll get closer to, I think, the English of what uh, Jesus is trying to convey here. Blessed are the shy. And I love this quote from Dallas. The kingdom of heaven will give to the shy what they cannot get by self-assertion. The kingdom of God, when you can't speak up for yourself, the kingdom of God will give to you what no one is going to give to you unless you go after it with all you got and stomp on a few throats and knock people out of the way. And Blessed are the shy, the painfully shy. For they will inherit what no one would think to even offer them or give them. Blessed are those who are starved for righteousness. Starved for rightness to be done. This, this, this implies a hunger for justice to be done. Maybe there's not justice for your impossible circumstance, but in the kingdom of God, there is justice. And you're gonna, you won't be starved for it anymore. You will be filled. You will get your fill. Blessed are merciful people. You know, we live in a, in a culture that kind of, I, I think, generally will view mercy as uh, you don't want to do that. You don't want to let them off the hook. You want to be careful about that. The world teaches that merciful people are crazy because mercy is for weak people. Mercy is for losers. Mercies will, you're going to get back, they're going to, you're letting them and they're just going to keep Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is the only way those people are going to learn, whoever those people are. No, in the kingdom, you don't have to keep score that way. You can let things go. And in the kingdom, you'll discover mercy for yourself. Mercy for yourself that you didn't even know you needed that you didn't even think to ask for. And mercy that you receive for which you never even thank God. In the kingdom, I find mercy for all of those times I was wicked and ungrateful. And living from the resources of the kingdom of God, I find the power I need to show mercy even to people who are wicked and ungrateful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who long to see perfection. People who long to see perfection. Let me ask you, for those of you who are pure in heart, As you look at the darkness of this world, the sin of this world, the filth and the perversion of this world, 
when things that you weren't culturally a few years back were thought as unthinkable, they're now celebrated as freedom or progress or whatever. The pure in heart see the filth of this world and it tortures them. It upsets them greatly. And I hear this all the time in people I'm talking to. It's just so bad. I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to talk about this. You don't want your preacher to preach about things like this. Well, you know what? In the kingdom of heaven, you are blessed because you are going to find the perfection that you've never found here. You are going to find the perfection that you've been longing for and never seen. And you're going to meet that perfection face to face. You will get to see God. Blessed are those who speak up for peace, who pursue unity. So often the, the pleas of a peacemaker, they're going to fall on deaf ears and hard hearts. And there are governments, the government of Russia or the government of other countries, where a person who speaks for peace, maybe they're called a troublemaker. Maybe they're called a problem. Maybe they're threatened with a 15-year jail sentence. But under the government of God... That person is called son or daughter. Blessed are those who are targeted because you dare to be associated with Jesus. In some way, you have been identified as belonging to Jesus Christ. And trouble comes your way. Things come your way because of that association. You see, being insulted and persecuted and lied about because of your affiliation with Jesus, uh, it's not a great and wonderful thing in and of itself. But in the kingdom of God, a God who sees your willingness to stand together with him in the resources of the kingdom, he says, great is your reward. Great is your reward. The Beatitudes are Jesus' teaching against the prevailing assumptions of the day and the culture of who is blessed and who is not. And maybe this comes across even more clearly in Luke's gospel because Luke puts the Beatitudes, the blesseds, together with the woes. And Jesus' teaching on prevailing assumptions, including the Beatitudes, they come down to a variation on a single theme, a single theme that he teaches in the Gospels about the kingdom of heaven. And that theme is this. Many who were thought to be first are going to come in last, and many who were thought to be last they're going to come in first. So we'll look at a familiar story to wrap up this morning, kind of illustrate this point. 
story of rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man, Dives, some call him, that just means rich man in the Latin Vulgate version. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. I like the version that says about this, he fared sumptuously every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all of this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And the story goes on. Well, send help for my brothers. No, they have the law and the prophets. But if someone will come back from the dead, no, even if someone rises from the dead, they will not listen. Many who were thought to be first, not even needing the blessings of the kingdom of heaven, are going to come in last. And many who are thought to be unblessable, they're going to get special treatment. Lazarus, angel escort to Abraham's side. We're not even told how the poor rich man gets to hell. No angel escorts there. Just dropped like a stone. See, what Jesus is doing in his teaching is he's getting to us to think about our, what we presume to be correct about who is in and who is out, who is living the good life and who is not. And so there is a great reversal, a great reversal that Jesus talks about. He challenges our assumptions of who we think are the winners and who we think are the losers. And don't take Jesus' teaching and turn them into a legalism that says uh, all poor people go to heaven and all rich people will go to hell. That's not what Jesus' point is. Don't say only mournful people are going to find comfort. And if you're too happy, well, there's no comfort for you. We're not making a new list of rules by what he's doing here. But I hope that as you read the words of Jesus, 
that you just allow yourself to be freed up in your thinking of how I've been keeping score and what I've been call, who I've been saying is blessed and who is not blessed. So Dylan, you can come up here. I'm wrapping up now. The last thing I want to do this morning is I want to ask questions of you just for your own consideration. Because unless you connect this to your own life and your real situation and circumstances, maybe it doesn't make sense to you. But if you were to write a set of beatitudes for your own life, what would they be? What if you were to write a set of beatitudes for your own life? What would you write down? What are your impossible circumstances where you have presumed, hey, there's no blessing for this. This is just awful and I'm just stuck and nothing good is ever going to come out of this. Blessed are the bald. or the fat, or the ugly, or the old. For all of those people who fall outside of this culture's narrow definition of who is beautiful, you are blessed in the kingdom of heaven because you are the apple of your Savior's eye. Blessed are those who have been abandoned by their spouse, told by them, I don't want you anymore, go away. Because in the kingdom of heaven, there is one who says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Blessed are those who've just been diagnosed with cancer. Because we all know that cancer is such a great thing. It'll keep you humble. You'll learn so many good lessons from it. No, the blessing is not the cancer. The blessing is that in the kingdom there is comfort and healing for you. Blessed are the unemployed or the underemployed. Blessed are the people who can't find a job, who can't get enough hours, who can't find the means to guarantee that your spouse and children will not face hardship. This world says, no, that's not blessed. But you are invited to be a part of a kingdom where there is always going to be meaningful work for you and there will always be provision provided, good things provided, blessing, beatitude. So the invitation uh, we offer every week um, to put on the Lord in baptism or to uh, receive the prayers of this church for some need you might have, uh, you can come forward in just a moment when we stand and sing, and I'll be right up here, and you can make those known to me. But I would say that the great reversal of the kingdom of heaven that idea of the first will be last and the last will be first. There are parts of that that are available to us even now. Because I don't know what your impossible circumstance is. 
but it's no problem for the power and the resources that exist in the kingdom of heaven. And it seems to me that the only strings that Jesus attaches to this is that you have to have the faith to go after it. Enough faith to ask so it can be given to you. Enough faith to seek so you will find. Enough faith to knock at the door so it will be opened. That's the strings that are attached. Let me know how we can help you this day while we stand and sing together.